Welcome to Pidcast, a podcast brought to you by the Piddington Society and powered by Pragma Lawyers. Today's guest has worked in both private practice and community legal centres and has a unique take on both. So let's meet him now. Welcome, guest, as is Kutchasmiri on the pod. Who is Shaban Azad? Who is Shaban Azad? That's a very good question. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm sure that other people would have different answers to that question. I am a... Bloody hell. This is like the easiest question in the world, right? And you and you just it's, you just you've just stumped me first up. It's open. It's, it's open. A, open. Um, look, um, it's it will probably give you a fascinating insight into my into my life and my views of myself. I am a practicing lawyer in the Perth CBD, um, who is I would hope someone who's open and ethical. Like bloody hell, like that's. That's me, man. Like, that's, that's, that's a good start. I don't know. A... I don't know. The cardigan-wearing, kebab-loving, <laughs> Piddington country leader. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I mean, there's a there's a lot that you could say, right? Like, bloody hell. There's there's a couple of years to pack into it, and you well, put it into a sentence. So, well, yeah, well exactly. Done. I'm 31 years old, and this is just <laughs> this is just a lot to put in, you know. <laughs> so, about your legal career, we'll get to that, um, and being a lawyer and being a Piddington person in the country. Let's do that now because that'll frame the, the discussion we're having today about community legal centres. Sure. So what CLC were you part of and, and for how long and, and what sort of areas of WA have you been in practising the law? Well, look, if, we, if we're going to talk CLCs generally, I, I, would, I would like to put the ALS into the CLCs because I think yep. it's appropriate that we do. Um, it may not be you know, everyone's uh, idea of a CLC, but I think it is. So I've worked in two if we're going to count ALS. One is Bunbury Community Legal Centre, which I think now is Southwest yep. Community Legal Centre. Um, not up to date with their new title. The other is obviously the Aboriginal Legal Service. Um, and I worked, when I worked in Bunbury, I did primarily Southwest. So Bunbury, Bustleton, Margaret River, Manjimup, Bridgetown, Harvey, Collie. So all the big major centres down in the Southwest. And I used to travel out there quite a bit. And for the Aboriginal Legal Service, I've gone to every major country town other than Albany. So Bunbury, Bustleton, yeah, uh, Geraldton, Carnarvon, and the outlying Aboriginal communities for those for the Midwest, uh, Caratha, Port Hedland, where I was based, Derby, Kununurra, Broome, like I mean... You've been, you've been all over. I, 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 have, I have legitimately been all over. I've... I've I sort of had a bingo card full of uh, the, the, the magistrate's courts of the state that I had totted up in my head um, and I would cross them off every time I'd been there. And I think I've been to nearly every, nearly, nearly every one. That would be an illustrious group, I would have thought. Not many in that. No, well, look, I, I mean, I mean, you don't, you don't, you don't really get a set of steak knives or anything if you do it to all of them. But um, no, I, I, I mean, I, I like going there. I, I, I do like travelling around. I, I genuinely do like travelling around. That's why... I, oh, well, it's part of the reason why I took the job in Bunbury and then Port Hedland. But the, the travelling around aspect, the going on for a bit of an explore to different places has sort of sort of been a really, really great aspect of my legal career. And is that finding uh, places that you like out there or is that just meeting different people in the places that you go? And, and Genuinely just meeting different people, yeah. Yep. yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't think I could, well, I, I could generally live anywhere. Like I don't, 
I could live anywhere in WA. My wife probably has a different um, outlook on that question. Yeah, I could live anywhere and, you know, with with the advent of the internet and with everywhere being connected, I, I, I didn't struggle. When I lived in Port Hedland, I didn't struggle for any amenity or any anything other than, you know, major events like major concerts and... Missing out on those, but otherwise... Missing out on those. Um, And obviously, Piddington, Bali, which you have to, you know, you have to fly to Bali for. You do have to fly to Bali for. Yeah, yeah. So I could pretty much... I like like going everywhere. So let's let's split it up then. So you were in Bunbury first, and then you went up north. Yeah. So what... When were you in Bali? What what sort of level were you at? And and what were you doing when you were there? When I was in Bunbury? Um, Sure. So I started there in 2015. I was there for about seven or eight months for the the Community Legal Centre. And I didn't do, I, when I practiced in private practice beforehand, I did majorly, mostly just crime. So not actual crime, but, you know, defending people. <laughs> um, so private practice crime is a really interesting sort of area. Um, and then when I went to Bunbury, I didn't practice in crime at all for seven or eight months. And I think at the end of it, I was like, I need to go back to crime. I, I, I missed it too much. Um, but I did mainly family law, uh, civil, everything. The, a community legal centre covers everything. And our, and our community legal centre was a generalist firm. So, you know, one appointment would be for family law. One appointment would be for a restraining order. One appointment would be a tenancy issue. Um, one appointment would be, uh, you know, problems with the tax office. You know, one appointment would be centrally, you know, like it would just, you know, you would cover a whole range of issues and it was a generalist firm. And sometimes, look, I remember you'd travel, you know, you travel to Collie or Harley and you ha- or Harvey and you'd have three appointments set and you just get this like one line blurb. Like you just get like, okay, well, what's your issue? It's like, you know, financial issues. You know, it could be yep. like family financial issues. It could be like civil, it could be this. And it took you like, it, it sometimes took you a while just to figure out, okay, well, what's the... Where, what, where, what's the issue? What's the issue, right? And where can we go? Um, and that was pretty fun. Um, and it was also pretty fun to realise that there's so much... This, there's, well, it's not fun, but it was sad and enlightening to realise that there are so many gaps in the legal services profession. Like the, there's so many gaps that the legal services do not provide that people just fall into, you know, and you would think that this would be an obvious thing to, to cover, but where there is no money and where there is no, well, where there's a demand, but there's, it pays little or the people that require that service cannot afford, you know, a professional service, then there's just... It doesn't get covered. That's where your CLC comes in. And That's where your CLC comes the, in. Uh, but you know, some. But then you know, um, CLCs are, you know, and I'm not gonna, and I want to just preface this. I'm not talking for every CLC. And sure. I'm not talking on behalf of CLCs, and I'm, I, I do not, I do not, do not possess the. <laughs> I'm not their spokesperson. But no. when I when I worked for a CLC, I was in a really interesting area where CLCs were starting to change from just getting a pot of money and using it as they saw fit to then having strings attached to that money so if before we could provide services to anyone now we had then we it sort of started to change as i was leaving to oh you could only provide services to a certain subset group who fit into this category um, meet criteria yeah they meet criteria and move on and obviously we had means testing and we had all of that yeah. um, which is essential because um and we, we tried not to means test everyone um, we try to sort of provide a generalist service, and then if they were, if we did assess that they had the means, we'll go. Well, look, you needed to get a private prac, but you should go here. You should go there. This is your issue. So, yeah, it was. It's an interesting. It was an interesting sort of, sort of phenomenon to to watch and to sort of be a part of. So, um, so that to have those have those have those like handcuffs on, if you so to speak. Yeah. So that was your ex- experience down south. Yeah. And yeah. then what then made you go 
up north and, and what was the difference in experience and what was the difference in clientele that was coming <laughs> through the door and well, formality or informality? Well, the Aboriginal Legal Service obviously provides, primarily provides criminal legal services to um, the Aboriginal population in any sub in any town or any area. Uh, and that's the biggest difference because I went from a journalist firm to, to and effectively not really dealing with any uh, Indigenous people at all. So in Bunbury, I... I I generally maybe had two or three clients who were Indigenous who actually ticked the Indigenous box, so to speak, you know. Uh, and then I had never... I dealt with a lot of people from culturally diverse backgrounds, but I never dealt with any Indigenous uh, people. And going up to Port Hedland is like the coalface. You know? It's a whole <laughs> new world. It's a whole new world. And um, I call that the coalface of p- practising law because yep. if you can practise law in Port Hedland or you can practise law in Karatha and actually even get to go further. You can go practice law in Jigalong or Nullagine and de- deliver effective legal services out there, then you can do it anywhere. So yeah. let's talk about that then. What are the experiences that stayed with you from those places that you went, those services that you provided that either have taught you something about how you practice today or yep. have just provide some sort of context for what you do? One of the main things is you don't need all the you know, all the things that you think you do need. You don't need a desk. The Swan River View. You don't need the Swan River View. I, I do have one at the moment in my current office, um, a very, like, small glimpse, but um, <laughs> still have one. Um, you don't need a lot of, yeah, you just don't need all the stuff. You don't, you know, obviously you have to be aware of certain things. One, your ethics, always. And yep. you need to make sure that every time you're dealing with someone or you're talking to someone, you have to make sure you got to keep your ethics, you know, and that's... Yep. That applies everywhere. You know, it doesn't matter if you're on St George's Terrace or you're sitting under a tree in Chigalong. Yep. That's you, your ethics is your number one. And number two, you've got to make sure that you provide the service that you're going to do. Someone comes to you like, hey, I've been charged with this. And, I, and I'm talking in a criminal context because I'm primarily, you know, practice crime. So, sure. you know, someone comes to you and says, look, I've, I've been charged with this or I'm, I mean, like, or we're in custody and you have to go and see them in the cells. And, like, you know, this is the first time you're going to speak to them. You got to make sure, like, set the set the agenda, set the example, and move on. And what's um, stayed with me is that it doesn't matter where who you're speaking to. It doesn't matter if they're indigenous or not indigenous. Doesn't matter if you have a if you can open lines of communication and and build a rapport straight away, um, then you achieve far better results than if you just tell you know you project. You say, look, this is your problem. This yep. is what you need to do. Instead of just saying, hey, what's happening? You know, you open up a dialogue with someone. You're much well liked. And you can, and if you're well liked in a community, in a small community, your reputation goes far. You know, people come to you and they, they trust what you're saying, and you don't abuse that trust ever. So you always have to make sure you never abuse that trust. Yeah. But you trade on your reputation, and that's what's that's what stuck with me, especially in, in small towns. You can walk into a town, they know who you are, they um, trust that you're there for their best interests, and you have to actually be there for their best interests, not just rely on that trust. Um, and you've got to keep checking yourself, like, am I am I doing the right thing? Um, so that's really what stuck with me, especially going up north. So in terms of that checking in, making sure you're doing the right thing, um, what's the sort of support network that you had when you were working outside of the Perth area? Um, and what did you have when you were working at CLCs generally? Uh, well, look, when I was up outside the port area, uh, the, the Perth area, I, um, I have to be honest, I didn't, I didn't really have a great support network. Yep. Uh, legal, sorry, emotionally, I didn't really have a great support network because you, you're, you're away from your friends, you're away from 
your family effectively if you if you because I, I moved up there without my family and you sort of just are on your own and you have to develop it you have to redevelop a new a new support network a new social network what I would say is that you it it's very easy to fall into an existing group there like when I went up to Port Headland there was already a group of lawyers up there who were working you know from legal aid to ALS to the COCs up there as well and the court staff you forget to know that like the court staff as well are, are quite they are people they are people yeah and they and they do like to you know they are social creatures as well and even you know the judicial officers that would would be there from time to time would also um, engage so yeah it's a you create that but you're isolated from Perth yep. because unfortunately what happens and I think why I started to really push the country aspect when I was in the city and uh, when I was in the country sorry and you know develop this you know sort of random idea about Pennington country which Nick Van Haddam um, loved was that there really is a disconnect between the country and the city and it's very difficult when I was practicing back then to really know what's going going on like no one, you know, you don't know what's happening. You don't know what the latest trends are. You don't know. Um, you're you disconnect from CPD sessions because we there weren't a lot of online CPD, you know, back in you know 2016. Yep. It's only because of COVID now and really um, that's pushing it. But yeah, you, you just get disconnected, and it's not and it's a networking issue as well because people don't know who you are. And if people don't know who you are, you get stuck in a rut where I was, where I couldn't get a job for some time moving from private practice to a COC because no one knew who I was. I didn't have a reputation. Yep. Um, and so... Who do you then fall back on? How, how, how do you then move forward from the position of possibly not knowing a lot of people in a town, not having yep. a reputation built up yet, yep. being able to build the reputation, yep. but you just haven't been provided the opportunity yet? What, what are the sort of things you utilised or things you did to then get into that job? Uh, in regards to... And then, and then build the network. Well, I mean, I, I can't talk from the perspective of getting the job, but I can talk when I got there. I made sure I did the best I could on like at work yep. every day. So that was in court, providing legal advice, whatever. I wanted to make sure that if I was in public, I, I was professional and seen to do my job because that's how you you know people see you, people talk to you. And as well as that, I try to introduce myself to as many... Um, of the practitioners that used to come up from Perth to Port Hedland because we used to run district court every couple of couple of months, um, Supreme Court, if there was a murder trial that was happening, you know. So you would just, you know, make sure that you were, you know, you, you would introduce yourself and make sure that, you know, you were known to practitioners who were coming up and you would just be helpful, you know. I would I would routinely just not to, not in any cynical way, I would routinely, if anyone would come up to Port Hedland, I'd introduce myself and be like, right, this is where you can go to do this, this is where you can go to do that. This is like, I mean, shortcut it, right? Because you can be there for a week and you can live from hotel to courtroom, courtroom back to hotel room, and you can, you would never see anything or you never do anything or you would you know, think, oh, right, this is a small town, it's a crap town, you know. Whereas I would say, no, like, you know, there's places to eat, there's better places to eat than the pub or, you know, your motel or whatever it is, and there's things to do, you know. Like, don't, don't just get stuck in the one place. So let's turn to those things to do because that's what I'm interested in as well because I imagine that's one of the great benefits of working out in the country is there's a whole range of things you get to see that people in the city don't. So at the end of every day or at the end of the week, do you go out and explore as a way of switching off or how did you use that? Yeah, well, look, I I mean, I was privileged because I was able to travel travel on circuit country towns. So it, it sort of works, the social kind of calendar especially up north, works kind of with the season. So 
October to May, October to April is it's pretty hot. There's not really much going on. You know, there is some social stuff happening. But then, you know, from May to October, there's, you know, a whole range of activities that go on. Every weekend, there's usually something happening. And you just make sure that you get plugged into that and you, you go do stuff. And I did things that I never would have thought that I ever wanted to do. Like, I, I never had any interest in watching horse racing, but I went to every every single Port Hedland meet, you know. Yep. And then I went to, you know, Marble Bar Cup, which was, you know, a, a yearly thing. You know, I would go to Broom Cup. You know, I, I have no interest in it. <laughs> you know, I'm not I'm not here, you know, banging down on Ascot race course right now. You know, I'm great. I need to go. But, you know, you would just, you, you would get introduced to stuff. There's, you know, up in, there was different festivals and different country things. I remember I went to a rodeo once, and that was at Wim Creek. And Wim Creek's like an hour outside of Port Hedland. It's just a random pub. Like you legitimately like drive past it. I don't know if it's open anymore, but there would just be a pub, right? And I went to a rodeo there where you did camping across the road. And then you went to, I mean, I have no interest in going to a rodeo. But, you know, it just sounded like, oh, all right, well, like this is something to do, right? Like, you know. Just be open to it. Just be open to it, right? Just yeah. just be open to, you know, do whatever. it's not going to hurt me. I could sit, watch some people. I mean, obviously the animals, like we have to think of um, the welfare aspect of it. But still, like I just thought, well, stuff it, right? Like something to do and I got to do others I got to I would never have been able to go to Karajini if I wasn't working in Port Hedland and that's an that. amazing place yeah and I went and did the Karajini experience and I saw opera in the gorge oh wow um, and we had some you know great great food that was there so I wouldn't have done any of that if I'd just been in the city like I would I would have just and I would have been ignorant to it as well yeah so let's let's turn then to what's the the differences between possibly working in the city and working in the community legal centre space yep. um, in terms of very practical day-to-day aspects of, mm. of what you do. So in terms of billable work, uh, do you know such a thing as a timesheet? Is there a six-minute increment somewhere? Look, um, when I went in private practice, we I'm going to make no bones for the fact that I hated billables and I'm going to make no bones for the fact that I hated doing a timesheet. Like, to account for my day in six-minute increments is the most tedious thing I've list I've I've ever had to counter in my entire life and I hated it with a passion. So much so that I would be behind. But my, my timesheets would be a week or two behind. Yep. And I would and I'd have an informal timesheet there. There. Yep. But I would never submit a timesheet. Um, and I was always threatened to, you know, like, oh, you won't pay this fortnight if you don't submit your timesheets and things. And it was it, I always got I never I always got paid, but I was always I just hated it. I just hated it. And what I hated as well is that Sometimes clients would call me and they'd make reference to something in a bill that was sent. So I don't, I, I'd never sent the bills. Like I was just an employee, right? Like yeah. I would just sit my timesheet would go off. And I remember I had, this, I had this shitty feeling where someone called me up and they said, hey, look, I want to know about this or this about my matter. It was a commercial matter. I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. And then I was talking to them and they're like, right, you know, so what, this is going to be two units or three units or what, like how long, this conversation is like 14 minutes. So is that, a, is that three units? And I was thinking to myself, bloody hell, like, I, I mean, what, do I now, do I now stop billing this person because we're talking about billing issues or, you know, like, yep. <laughs> yep. you know, I mean, it just. It, I think the legal practice board will tell you yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, <laughs> I, I mean, of course, right. But I just thought, bloody hell, right. Like this just is. commoditizes what you do. Yeah. You, you, you sell your time. You sell your time. And yep. I'm, I wasn't for that. So when I went to a community legal center, we had a timesheet, but it wasn't. It wasn't a six-minute timesheet, and it wasn't. It was just effectively, what did you do for this day, so we can account, and we can effectively say like our lawyers did this because you know the government want to know what they're getting out of the money, you know, yep. of course, and it's they want some level of accountability. Exactly, and I accept that, and that was fine. And so you know, you would have like three-hour blocks of like uh, appointments, right? And then you would say, right, after this appointment, I did like 
half an hour. You know, we had I think we had 15 minute increments. We had like you know two 15 minute increments of looking up this issue or typing this up or going here and doing that, and that's fine, right? Like that wasn't an issue for me because that was pretty easy because you you'd have so much to do. <laughs> so and that was fine because the money wasn't it wasn't about money. It was about accounting for time, and sure. I've got no issue with that. Um, at the ALS, I can happily say there is no timesheet. And if there was, um, we would be drastically underpaid, not by the ALS themselves, but by the government, because the government do not know how good they've got it, where they've got duty lawyer services provided by legal aid and ALS, and they are getting extreme value for money. Extreme. I mean, it is just ridiculous. If a, if someone, if a bean counter wants to come and watch what a duty lawyer does for a whole day, um, even in Perth or in the country, wherever it may be, they will see that they get extreme value for money to the services that are provided. Because if if you try to get a duty lawyer to do a timesheet, it would be, you know... Break the system in some ways. Yeah, and, and like, I mean, slow it down it would just, it'd be ridiculous. I, yeah. I mean, I know that legal aid do have timesheets, but, you know, like, I mean, if you had to do individually client, bill clients, yeah. um, and I would see upwards to about 15 or 20 people a day in Karratha, you know, in a busy Karratha list and a Roeburn Karratha list, you would have anywhere between 25 and 40 people. There'd be 120 on the list. Yep. And you you would split it, you know, like 60 or 70 would show up, 35 each, you know, depending on <laughs> your legal Get cracking. Yeah, and you just go for it. There yep. you go, right? And so, yeah, it'd be a nightmare. And you'd be there till like 8, 9 o'clock at night sometimes. But, yeah, I loved, I loved the non-billing aspect. And now that I work for another organisation, they don't have billing either. Yep. So... Got, got, got the best of both worlds there. So yeah. w- what could private practice learn from the way community legal centres do their job? Is there, is there something you think, from your experience in both private and in CLCs, there's something that private practice should actually take up and consider? Yeah, look, probably the culture. Yeah. I'd say probably the culture of focusing on how you can help a client rather than meeting a billing target. I have to say, I've never, I've never participated in billing targets. I've never, like when I worked in private practice, I never had a billing target or anything like that. But the the culture at a CLC was fantastic because it was you focused. It was whilst it was client focused, it was also you focused. You know, like in the sense that, all right, how are you doing today? How what's happening? You're like, right, you've done nine appointments or ten appointments this week. Um, you're probably probably overloaded in this respect. We're going to pull you off get you to, you know, do your other work and then, you know, move on. And there was a strict, right, you get paid for seven and a half hours of work, at seven and a half hours you leave. Do you know what I mean? Like yep. it was a, it was strict yep. and it was great because, you know, if you came in at seven o'clock, you'd get paid from seven till, you know, 3.30 with an hour break or half an hour break and that was that. It was so good to just go to work and it just be work in the sense of it not just be your life. Because uh, I, I don't Otherwise know. it becomes all too consuming. It does. It yeah. does, right? Do you, do you check your emails on a weekend at Pragma? Sorry, I don't want to... Yeah, no, Pragma no, we do. No, we do. Yeah, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. At a CLC, we don't do that. Yeah. Do you know? Once I checked out, not that I didn't care, and I want to make it clear, I did. it's not like as if like people who work at CLCs just, just stop, yeah. right? Like at 3.30, right, no problems. I have no issues whatsoever. But what I'm saying is that there was no expectation of doing extra work on top of what you were doing, because you know you were you were only getting so much. And you were, it was such an emotional. You were putting a lot of your, your your time and your emotion into it that it's not worth it. You know, it's yeah. not worth it. And I and I found that like I found that that's a you know having a proper balance and and looking out for your workforce is number one. Because yeah. if you burn out, like I was in private practice and I was depressed and I was 
just burnt out. Like I just hated it. I used to go in and hate it. I used to be in, I used to be annoying to my fellow colleagues just so they wouldn't talk to me. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, just because I just wanted the space. Like, I just yeah. didn't want anyone to talk to me. And I'd be like, right, I'm just going to act like a dickhead today because, like, that means that people will stay away from me and that would be that. And that's a stupid attitude to have, right? Yeah, like, no, it's not conducive to great work. No, no, exactly, right? Yeah. So, yeah. All right, well, in closing, um, and this is, this is the question we ask everyone who comes in, what does justice mean to you? Uh, fairness. I think everyone who comes before courts or wants to receive justice needs to there needs to be an aspect of being fair and even though you might not like result if you had a fair go and you've been given an opportunity to be heard and listened to and your concerns are noted in a sense and then given a reasoned response as to why um, a certain decision has been made um, then that's I think is all you can expect and the system has to be fair um, and unfortunately money the more money you have, the more, so to speak, fairness you might get. And that, for me, is disgusting. Um, so that's why the CLCs pick up an enormous amount of slack um, and to make sure that those that can't afford, um, you know, the silks on the terrace um, can still get justice. And for me, that's that, that's, how I, that's how I'd explain it. I, I'd say if it's fair and the system's fair, then... You can have no complaints. Shabana Zard, thank you for taking the time. Thank you, Nick.